There are two certainties in life, death and taxes. In this episode, I'm talking to my very own accountant, Eric Nassal, about these very sensitive subjects. Learn how Eric dealt with financial matters after his brother suddenly passed away and what you should know about protecting your money in life and in death. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. They say the two certainties in life are death and taxes. And today we'll be talking a bit about both with my own accountant, Eric Nassal. Eric is the founder of Account Lancer and works with the freelancing and blogging community. He also writes about entrepreneurship and is the go-to expert on tax advice with his advice appearing in Huffington Post, Bankrate, Forbes, and more. He is such a great guy. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you for having me, Melanie. So excited for you to be here, even though we're talking about a rather somber (laughs) topic. So You unfortunately lost your brother this year. He passed away over the summer rather unexpectedly. And I wanted to talk to you about how did that affect your mental health or people around you and just share a little bit more about that experience. Well, for me personally, I'm the type of person like I can compartmentalize and I'm pragmatic about things. So when something like that happens, even though it did come as a shock because he was only f- a week after his 41st birthday and you know there were no signs or anything like that. But like you said, it was a shock. It came out of nowhere. And unfortunately, that wasn't the first time that something happened You know, during this uh, whole pandemic thing. Three months earlier, my grandmother had passed, but you know, mm-hmm. she was like, she was uh, two weeks short of a hundred and she couldn't she couldn't see, she couldn't hear, she couldn't walk, she had diabetes, she had like, you know, she had all this stuff. So when they found her and they called the the doctor from uh, the medical examiner's office, because they have to like find out, you know, if you're going to get an autopsy or not, you have to go to the doctor. If there's a history like my grandmother's where it was like a mile long, they're like, yeah, screw that. We're not going to deal with, you know, we don't have to worry about the, the coroner or anything like that, the medical examiner. She's going straight to the uh, to the funeral home to get done. Um, but with him, because it was a surprise and nobody had any idea that there was anything wrong, then that's the type of stuff that really drew on the emotional side was not knowing exactly what happened for over a month, having to wait for them to release the body to do the um, the funeral service, having to deal with everybody else's crap because you have weird people out there who are not part of the family who are like, you know, hounding you. How did he die? Did you find out how he died? And it's like, that's worse than almost anything because 
it's kind of like a weird obsession with some people, you know? So for me, mentally, it really wasn't that big of a deal. It was a physical thing for me because I had to keep going back and forth to my parents during the pandemic, during tax season that was extended already, which, (laughs) you know, all that stuff, you know, it was more physical for me than mental. You had a lot going on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's so crazy that you had this one death that was very kind of expected. She was a hundred, she was older. You kind of knew that was coming. And then to be completely blindsided by your brother and to be shocked. I mean, I can't imagine dealing with that one, two punch, especially with everything going on right now. And I think that's so interesting that you mentioned some people are like morbidly curious or obsessively curious about what happened. Do you know what happened? And I think that can definitely affect your mental health. And maybe that says something about their mental health or like maybe their like own existential questions about life and death. Yeah. I don't know. I just found it weird. And people that I talked to also found it a little bit weird. It's like, you know, it's okay to ask one time, oh, how did it happen? You know, like, was it an accident or was he sick or blah, blah, blah. But to constantly ask and to follow up and be like, did you find out yet? And it's like, yeah, I had to post on Facebook. I was like, thanks for the concern and all this other crap. But even when the family does find out what happens, we're not going to be announced, you know, doing an announcement, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like when you hear about these celebrities, like, you know, the family would appreciate that, you know, you're respecting their privacy at this time. Like, seriously, let people get over their shit. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think that's a really good reminder for listeners who are dealing with other people who are experiencing grief and loss. You know, we're always wondering how can we support someone that's going through that, one of the basic ways is to not be too invasive or ask too many questions and really be of service. And yeah, respect people's privacy and respect the fact that people grieve in different ways and that it's not our right to know everything that happened. That's a personal thing. And really our job is is to listen and to be supportive and not do that. So I think that's a good reminder. So after his passing, you had to deal with his stuff. You had to deal with his finances, you know, yeah. because this is the mental health and wealth show. I'm interested in hearing what did you have to do? What steps did you have to take in regards to his financial accounts? Well, considering the fact that he didn't plan on anything happening, there was no master list of where accounts were or passwords or whatever like that. I was, you know, because my parents are older, they're in their 70s late 60s, early 70s. So they're not really up on technology. My mother still uses a freaking flip phone. She refuses <laughs> to, like, all she can really do is on the computer is do email, click, you know, print coupons, that type of thing. Not very um, tech savvy. So I was the one that was dealing with it. Luckily, one of his friends had a an old PIN number. From, oh, wow. Uh, you know, from debit card. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, it can't hurt to try it. And that was actually the pin to unlock the phone. Once I unlocked the phone, I was able to access everything there. And I was like, okay, first thing you do, you're going to transfer out all the freaking cash stuff because we'll get into this, you know, the part with wills and how to deal with money and all that stuff. Um, technically, you, you don't have any access to their stuff once they pass away. The bank accounts, 
lie, you know, supposed to lie dormant. But because he already had it set up to transfer money to my father, I was like, you know what? I'm going to drain this for as much as I can. Make sure that there's a buffer in there for what it looked like the credit card would be. You know, you have to call the phone company and cancel the service. You have to deal with, oh, well, it's a leased phone and the iPad and the Apple Watch. They were all leased, you know, with the provider. Luckily with that, they forgive everything in case of death. They let you keep it and they just write everything off. So, you know, that was, a, that was a, an interesting surprise. Then you call the Apple, was it Goldman Sachs who runs the Apple card? And they're like, oh yeah, it was canceled as soon as the, the phone service was canceled. And the, you know, because you never know, you always hear in the case of a death, the asset, the, the liabilities transfer to the estate or the people who are named as beneficiaries and all that stuff. But with the Apple card, it was just cut off. With um, AT&T, it was just ended. They just forgave it all. So I was expecting to have to deal with all this other crap. And like, okay, well, that's a nice surprise to get. <laughs> you know, you don't have to deal with all that. But then you have to deal with hunting down the, the 401k and the pension plan and the life insurance policy. And you need all these documents. You need the death certificate. In the case of um, the life insurance policy, you need the death certificate with the cause of death on there because they do not pay out in cases of suicides. Um, I don't know about drug overdoses, but I know for a fact, you know, suicides are not paid out on life insurance policies. So, you know, you have to wait for the coroner to get through with that in order to get the complete official cause of death and all that crap on there. And during a pandemic, let me tell you, it freaking sucks having to deal with all that stuff because they're backed up already dealing with all all that stuff. Um, (sighs) Luckily, I mean, it didn't really help that much, but my parents, they're friends with a city commissioner. So he put in a call and was able to at least get a generic death certificate. So we were able to do some things. The 401k did not need a cause of death on the certificates. We were able to get rolling on that. We were able to get rolling on the, you know, with a lawyer to do the, um, the probate stuff that did not require the death certificate to have the cause of death. So there were some things, but the pension required it for some reason. I don't know why. And the other one, like I said, the, um, the life insurance, they needed the full death certificate. So it was like, while you're waiting for that to do the, you know, to get everything all wrapped up, it's all like little things like um, finding out that there was a, a little uh, Robin Hood account and, you know, selling that stuff out and then transferring that over to the bank account. Uh, you know, it's just a ton of, you know, little, little things and dealing with all that crap. Yeah. If you think about how many accounts we have, bank accounts, retirement accounts, you know, paying the credit card, paying Apple, I mean, there are people that have to deal with that after you're passing. And so it sounds like you are kind of cleaning up all of that and figuring it out. And it sounds like having a death certificate is really important for you to get anything done. So for anyone listening, if you have to be in this unfortunate situation, which you probably will at some point, getting a death death certificate sooner rather than later can help you move things forward. And I just wanted to ask you a quick question for our audience that may or may not understand. What is probate? Can you explain? Okay. Yeah, I, I actually wrote about all this stuff after you know we've gotten through most of the process and everything. So 
you have a lot of people say you need to have a will. And that's true for non-probative assets. What that means is your house, you know, property, it tells you who gets what property, who gets or who not who gets, but who's going to be guardian of your children, what's going to happen with your like if you have a business and stuff like that. Um, those things go into your will. Probate is when you have your financial assets, you're supposed to have a beneficiary. They call it uh, they have two, primary and secondary. I think it's secondary. But usually you can name up to two beneficiaries. And that's how your financial assets get passed on. You name uh, the two beneficiaries. And the reason why you should always name two is, let's say the first, you know, the primary beneficiary dies before the secondary, or you have a falling out and you don't want them on there and they don't even answer the the letters or calls or whatever regarding you, blah, blah, blah. Or let's just say that they move and they never update their information. So they're impossible to find. Having a secondary beneficiary is a fallback. So then you get to, you know, the second person can claim the assets. If there's no beneficiaries, as was the case in this, which I had no idea was even possible. I always thought that to have a life insurance policy, a retirement account, you had to name a beneficiary as part of the account setup. And if you didn't do that, they wouldn't allow the account. Apparently, they don't require it. That's wild. Because he didn't have. Why wouldn't that be part of it? That's crazy. I don't know. It sounds stupid. Should be a requirement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It definitely should be, but it's not. I don't know why. But what happens is if you don't have a beneficiary named and you are single, because obviously if you're married, your surviving spouse is automatically going to have access to that stuff. But if you're single, you have no children, you don't have a beneficiary, it goes into probate, which means that you have to get an attorney to file a, you know, to form an estate. You have to show that you are, or whoever it is, get the court's approval to be administer of the estate, administrator of the estate. Then you have to send all that stuff to the financial companies. They have to go through it. They have to approve it. Then they send the money to the estate, for which case you have to go to a bank and set up a, an estate account. Wow. Then, yeah. Then you I have to send all that. that information. Yes. Then you have to send all the information to the financial companies. They send out, you know, they approve it. They send the money to the estate itself. And then the administrators of the estate administer. They distribute the money as they see fit. But if you would have just named a freaking beneficiary, they just send the death certificate, the you know the claim form, and it just goes right to them. Plain and simple. <laughs> it cuts out all the hassles with having to go to probate. You go through probate, which means getting an attorney, going to the courts, petitioning for being named the administrator. And normally that could take up to you know three to six months, they said. But Oof. luckily, one of the, you know, things that COVID has done has enabled the courts and a lot of other processes to get their heads on straight and be like, we need to like find a way to electronically get this stuff set up. So it only took about three weeks to get the probate stuff set up. So that was the good thing. But yeah, a will in and of itself does nothing for your financial accounts because the beneficiaries override that, which I did not know until this happened. That is such 
great knowledge to have now. Thank you for sharing that wisdom with us. And it is so important to list beneficiaries on all of your accounts. You can do that, I believe, with your banks, with your retirement, with your life insurance. You don't have to go anywhere. You could do it from your house. Like you log yeah. on to your log on to your um, retirement accounts. Log on to your your non um, your taxable brokerage accounts. You know you don't need proof. You don't need a birth certificate or a driver's license, or anything like that. All you need is a social security number, maybe that date of birth. But you just log in. You do a search for beneficiaries, and basically you just name the two beneficiaries. And you can name it however you want to do it, 50-50 or 100 for the primary and then 100% if that person cannot be found or whatever. Um, in terms of bank accounts, it depends on your bank and the type of account. You generally can't do beneficiaries on a deposit account, meaning checking your savings. But, And this is what me and my parents did after everything had settled. We went to the banks and they put me on as a signer on the account. So this way, technically, I own the account or I'm an, a joint owner with them. So should anything happen to them, I don't have to go through any processes. I'm already an owner on the account. I just go in and operate as normal. So that's the other thing that people need to understand is you, know, you have to find out from the bank itself if it's your CD or if it's a, you know, a money market or regular old deposit account like checking your savings. Some of them might offer a beneficiary naming setup. Um, otherwise, you just add somebody as the or whoever you want as your you know, beneficiary, just add them as an owner. And then they don't have to jump through any hoops because they're already an owner of the account. So that makes things easier too. For sure. Yeah. I believe Capital One 360, which is where I have my money, has a beneficiary because I kind of remember listing one a few years ago. But as you mentioned, it's super important to list beneficiaries and you gave so many good reasons why to do two. And that reminds me that I should go back because I don't have a second one. So thank you for uh, spurring me to action there. But you also mentioned something that is interesting that it's really important to continually year after year review who your beneficiaries are because your situations change. You know, there's been situations where people get divorced and they get remarried 10 years later, but the first wife is listed as the beneficiary. And then suddenly there's this conflict or maybe, you know, the beneficiary is a family member that has been estranged for, for yeah. years. And, you know, there are so many different dynamics and situations where, Suddenly people are like, oh, well, this is my money. And then you know that person is like, they were estranged in real life. So why should they get it? And so it's really important to review your beneficiaries probably at least once a year to make sure that those are the people that you want to have the money. It only takes five minutes to log in and check it. For sure. Um, you also mentioned something that I didn't know about. Can you tell me a little bit about estate accounts? You, you said you open a specific bank account. Yes, uh, it's called an estate account. Basically, when somebody passes away, and this is another thing that I did not know, and I'm sure a lot of people don't know, people think, oh, I have power of attorney over my mother's accounts, financial power of attorney, as well as medical power of attorney. When somebody passes away, power of attorney dies with them. And it's as plain as I can, mm. you know, as put it. Once they're gone, power of attorney doesn't count anymore because they're they're gone. So... You know, even if you think that you're okay because you have power of attorney, you're not. Even if you think you're okay because you have a will, you're not. So what happens is everything from that day forward gets 
sent to the estate of whoever the person's name is. And what you need to do is you need to get an EIN from the IRS. You need to open up a bank account separate from everything because it's kind of like a um, like a trust account with an attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, they keep it separate from anybody else, and it's only there for you know to to hold the money. And it's a pain in the ass. They have to send it to their their bank has to send it to their legal department. They have to get it all approved and all this other stuff. Then you have to go back and sign more documents to you know once it's been you know approved and all that stuff. But basically, that's where all the money or all the assets go once they're liquidated or transferred upon death when there is no beneficiaries, when mm-hmm. there was no co-owners and all that other stuff. So it goes into there. And then from there, the administrators could do whatever they want with it. Generally, and you know, unless there's a, like $11 million of assets and all that stuff. There's no estate tax return. I know a lot of people hear about estate taxes, blah, blah, blah. You don't even file a return under $11 million because that's where the taxes start with. So it's a pain in the ass, but the good thing is you're not required to go very far with it. For some things, it's you have to also be very careful. You want it to go into the estate first and not directly to the person because if it's paid directly to the person, like say from a brokerage account, you don't want to be the person responsible to pay taxes for it. If it's, you know, if it was paid out to you. True. So by going into the estate first, it's essentially eliminating the liability and life insurance policies, inheritances, stuff like that. Those are not taxable. So generally speaking, you don't have to worry about that stuff anyway, but always talk to an accountant, always talk to a financial planner or an attorney, you know, somebody who specializes in this stuff. Never go online to, you know, through Facebook groups or whatever, <laughs> or just generic websites. And, you know, Melanie knows this. I love my friends who are writers. Um, I have a lot of them who are writers, but just because they're writing general stuff about taxes and financial stuff, it's not going to apply to your specific situation. You have to Talk find somebody to a professional. Yes. Even what I'm saying now, don't take what I'm saying as the exact way that you should be dealing with taxes and all that stuff, because your situation might be different. You might have your money in the trust. You may have a different situation set up with a financial planner. You know, we're talking in generalities and my specific experience here. So never let one person's experience dictate what you're going to do because you need to figure out how, and this is, this is my one umbrella catch all that I always tell people because there really is no catch all except for this. And that's never follow what other people are doing. Always take a look and see how you can apply it to your situation because your situation is almost never going to be 100% identical to somebody else's. Exactly. It's so important to talk to a tax professional. And whenever I'm writing tax articles, I always give very general advice and say, for your specific situation, you should reach out to a tax professional because we cannot give out tax advice. So you definitely should. I have a question. So if the beneficiary gets the money directly without kind of the estate thing that you just mentioned, would they have to pay taxes on that then? No, okay. because it's, it's part of as being the beneficiary of the life insurance payout and all that stuff. In terms of a taxable, 
you know, like a taxable investment account, stuff like that, you need to speak to a tax attorney or a tax planner, somebody to figure out the best way to handle stuff like that. And especially when it's a retirement plan, you have options and you know, there's so many different things, whether it's an estate or a surviving spouse or a named beneficiary. There's so many different ways that it can be done. You could put it into an inherited IRA or it could be rolled into, you know, you could have it taken out in a lump sum or if you're, like I said, if you're a surviving spouse versus a named beneficiary, there's so many different rules depending on who you are and what your relation is that it's, it's almost impossible to give literally every single fork in the road to take everybody on that path to say, okay, if you're this, then go this way. If you're this, go that way. There's just not enough time. And honestly, I just don't have the energy to, even on my very best day, I don't have the energy to go that in depth into something. It's just yeah, it's very deep. Yeah, totally. So given all of this mess that you have been through and kind of figuring all this stuff out along the way, how should people prepare today to help their family in the event of death? Number one, never think you're immortal. I mean, that's the biggest thing, especially with young people. You're, they always, you always hear, young people think that they're invulnerable, they're invincible, all this other stuff. As long as you even have a phone, you need to think about what your plan is in case something should happen to you. You need to be prepared because tomorrow might not be guaranteed. You could just walk off the curb and get hit by a car. There's so many freak things that can happen. So from what I've gone through, I would say at least, at the very least, number one, put everything into a password manager like LastPass. This way, all you have to do is write down your master password and the email address that's registered to that. And then whoever is going to deal with your stuff, they'll have access to all of your websites right there. That counts as a list of all your your financial websites, personal websites, all that stuff. And it has all your access to get in there. Combine that with the fact that you need like double security on some of these things, especially if it's like an iCloud account or like Chase makes you, if you're using a non-recognized device, they text an account or they send you an email to an account on file, a temporary password. You know, after you get all your stuff put into a, like a password manager, make sure you're giving somebody access to your phone, especially now with the, you know, a lot of these, there's no more fingerprint on the new phones. You have to do it either biometrics or with a code. Make sure that they have the, the code. Make sure that your phone is set up with a passcode and that you leave it in your, you know, in case of death envelope or whatever. This way they can get into your stuff and access everything. Yes, make sure you have a will because like we discussed earlier, if you have children, you want to make sure that they're taken care of and that's what's going to specify that. If you have a house, you know, that's what's going to specify who your house gets left to unless you have somebody else on the deed with you, which is also what my parents did. They added me to their deed so that I don't have to even worry about any of that stuff. I'm again, I'm an owner of that as well as the bank accounts. So I just do whatever the hell I want after that is done. But if you have jewelry, like, you know, heirlooms and family jewelry, if you have a collection of some kind, you know, sports cards, comic books, China dolls, 
or porcelain dolls, you know, whatever, whatever anybody collects that has any kind of value to it, that's what the will is going to do. The will is going to designate who gets that stuff. And then make sure that all of your accounts have a freaking beneficiary named on them so that people who are dealing with your stuff don't have to fight tooth and nail to get everything cleared out. And the reason why this is important, more so than the monetary thing, it's the longer things get left unsettled, the longer it's going to take for people to be allowed to actually get on with their lives. If they're constantly, like the way we were dealing with it, we had to wait to find out when the hell we could have the funeral. Then I was like, that's the first step of grieving is being able to put them to rest. Then it's like, if you have all this stuff coming at you, where you have to deal with all of these accounts, you can't move on with your life until all of those accounts are settled because you're always having to deal with them. Once everything is settled, then you can start moving on with you know the rest of your life and not trying to forget or put anybody in the past, but everybody has to move on. You can't live in the past. You can't live with this stuff hanging over you. So that's the biggest thing is that with everything being drawn out, I kept saying, what the hell is going on with this place? How long does it take to, you know, to close out an account when you have the death certificate, the documents of the estate, the judge approval of the administrators, the IRS letter with the, um, you know, the EIN, all this stuff is provided. You know, why does it take so long to process this? Because don't they realize that it's part of the grieving process that they need closure in order to move forward? So the more that you can provide your family, friends, whoever's going to be dealing with your stuff after you pass, or should you, for unforeseen reason, something happen to you, the more you can provide them, the easier it's going to be for them to not only just get it done, but to actually grieve. Yeah, people are dealing with so many emotions during grief when someone passes. So if you can prepare as much as possible to help them, then they can just kind of get that done and be able to grieve properly in whatever way they want. Because I know a lot of people kind of get stressed about the financial aspect, which is where life insurance can really help. There's fighting over assets if there's no will in place. So really think of getting organized as a gift to your family and the people in your life. I definitely recommend creating a will. You can use either fabric or tomorrow. They allow for free will. So definitely check them out, fabric and tomorrow. And you know, listing out your accounts, having your passwords. I know that I have a folder in my drawer that my parents gave me with a list of accounts. It says, do not touch <laughs> until yeah. you know death. And I, I won't because it scares me, but it's a <laughs> whole folder of a list of accounts, passwords. I think I even have their key, you know, very important things because I'm an only child. I will have to figure all of that out on my own. And just having that really makes me feel like, okay, I will be better prepared when that unfortunate day comes to kind of manage everything. And I lost my grandpa earlier this year in January, which feels like a lifetime ago. I can't even believe it was this year at this point. And my dad had to do similar things to you where he had to get the death certificate. He had to go to all of these accounts. He he started discovering, oh, there's even more accounts and just kind of going down the rabbit hole. I mean, my grandpa was 97 years old, so he had a lot of different accounts. A long time to accumulate. 
Yeah, there was an account at uh, Michigan State University where he worked for 30 years, but that was many, many years ago. And so, you know, so many different things. Now that you said that, I thought of something else that I had written um, about. Found money. Make sure, not just for you now, or not just for them, but you now also, make sure that you are going and you are doing the state controller's office search for money under your name, your parents, brothers, sisters, you know, uncles, grandparents, maiden names, married names, you know, hyphenated names, like find out, you know, cause that's where this stuff goes. When money isn't claimed, um, I think it's within five years. If it's a dormant account and it all depends on the state, but it's generally like three to five years in a dormant account it goes to the state where the account was opened. So even if you realize, oh, we found that they had an account in this bank. If this happens like five years later, six years later, you're SOL because the money's already going to be gone. It's the same thing with brokerages. Brokerages, they will liquidate the funds and send the money to the state to hold in the name of the account holder. Now, it's, you know, again, every state has its own rules. Every account has its own rules. So you need to make sure that you are checking these things as well. And if you can figure this stuff out, I mean, hey, who would rather have their money sitting there at the state versus being like, oh, guess what? We found an account. Let's go claim it. Let's go use that money now. You know, it's just something that's just better for you. And I can provide the links to, you know, to both of the, you know, all the articles I wrote on the subject in your show notes. This way people could read about, because obviously we haven't gotten you know, been able to get into every detail of everything that has gone through with the whole, make sure you have beneficiaries and the whole, you know, found money thing. I have very, very detailed articles I've written. And that's, that's where that could be why I'm okay mentally, because I've actually put it into writing. I've, you know, I wrote it about it and I've gotten it all out and all that stuff. So it's like some people say writing is therapeutic, uh, going to the gym is therapeutic. Everybody, you know, who knows? <laughs> That is such a good point, and we will definitely include those articles in the show notes. And I just wanted to bring up one other point. So a lot of single people might think, I don't need a will. I don't need life insurance. I don't need a beneficiary. I'm broke. I have nothing. I just want people to think about, let's say you are, quote, broke, and you have like $100 in your account. Imagine right. if that was able to go to your favorite nonprofit. Maybe, you know, it's about rescuing kitties or something. I'll do you one better. Yeah. What happens to the people who, the people that follow you and have to deal with your stuff, whether or not you want a burial or be cremated or whatever, it costs a lot of money just for the, the preacher, rabbi, whatever you want to call them. Just them saying words is going to cost money. If you don't already have a plot, you have to buy one, that's going to cost money. Even if you want to be cremated, that's going to cost money. Where's that money going to come from? That's what life insurance does for people. They may have to lay out the money, but the life insurance is not just for people who, oh, I don't have kids, so I don't need to worry about you know providing for them my lost wages and stuff like that. It's also to provide for the ability to 
do a burial and have a ceremony. It provides for the ability to cover maybe debts of your estate that aren't written off by a company, you know. Um, it could be used for, let's say, an attorney to go to probate because you didn't think that it was important to name beneficiaries and all that stuff. But even if you have $100 to claim that $100, you have to hire an attorney to go to probate you know, court and get you approved as the administrator. That's going to cost money. So a life insurance policy will cover that stuff as well. So, yeah. That is such a good point and a reason why even single people should have life insurance because it's a way to protect the people who come after you financially, even if you have very little assets, you know, um, life insurance can pay out huge sums of money. And I think if I remember correctly, the average funeral costs around $10,000. I heard $7,000. Yeah, maybe seven to $10,000, probably within that range. That's, that's a lot of money for anyone to just suddenly have to put Do you out. want to know... Do you want to know what my parents did? They yeah. it was going to cost twenty something thousand dollars for the <gasps> plot in a Jewish cemetery. <gasps> they had bought theirs like twenty years ago, and it was over, you know a payment plan over five years. So they bought another one on a payment plan over five years with no interest, no anything like that, just a payment plan. And they had my brother put into theirs. But the difference between what it was when they bought it versus what it was, what they had to pay now, it's literally in the tens of thousands of dollars. To, like I, that's why I said, you know, even if you want to be cremated, you still have to pay for the, you know, you have to pay for a ceremony or whatever. I mean, I don't think you want to be left with the unclaimed people at the, county morgue or the city morgue because that's just that's a morbid thought and obviously people who are listening to this generally aren't that type of person because they're interested in learning about you know how to protect the people following them when it comes to money and death and all that other stuff but if you know somebody who thinks like that like i don't have any money i don't have any assets i don't need to do this Tell them, you know, it's not about you. It's the people who are outliving you and who have to deal with your stuff. And, you know, they want to say goodbye properly or make sure that you are comfortable and not, like I said, in a city morgue, just left as a, not not so much a John Doe, but left unclaimed. I think that's how they do it. Totally. I think that is such a great reason why people should get life insurance because death is expensive. Wow. <laughs> and the people who uh, are following up after that have to take care of that. And that reminds me of this meme that I saw that was like funny, but painful at the same time. It was like, don't make GoFundMe be your life insurance account. Like, you know, because yeah. because you've unfortunately seen those like GoFundMe go accounts of people saying, I just want to bury my child or bury whomever. And it's devastating that that's what they have to do. And, you know, no judgment on that. But you want to hopefully avoid that. And you can do that through life insurance. Yeah, absolutely. You know, who wouldn't want to make things easier for their friends and family? I mean, unless you're a certain type of person who just doesn't like anybody, period. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so last question, what should people know about death and taxes? Other than the idiom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, obviously, it does get complicated because let's say, like with what happened to my brother, he died in the middle of a year. You have accounts that don't get closed like right off the bat because it takes time. You're not allowed to close them, all this other stuff. There's a lot of work that goes into it. You know, especially when it comes to taxable brokerage accounts where you're, you're, you're reporting it every single year on your tax return, you have to draw the line. Everything up until the date of death gets filed under his social security number on his 1040 as a final return. Everything that happens afterwards, interest payments, capital gains, dividends, all that other stuff, that gets filed on the estate return. If you're going to do that, you know, you have to, you have to deal with all that crap. And split that out there. Um, if you are going to be requiring all that stuff, like I said, you may have to do an estate return. You may not, depending on the money, depending on your state that you live in, depending on what assets you have. You should always talk to a tax professional because they will tell you what you specifically need to do not give you generalizations <laughs> um, because generalizations do nobody good. But just know that it's going to be a little bit difficult. And yes, you do have to file taxes for somebody who died. You are going to get a W-2 for them if they had a you know, job. If they were older, you're going to get a, a social security statement, a 1099 essay from them at the end of the year. You're going to get still get the brokerage you know, uh, 1099s and all this other stuff that has to be reported. You just have to know how to deal with it. And I had no idea about any of that, to be honest. So <laughs> this really is helpful for me because I was like, oh, wow, you have to do all that. I mean, it makes sense, but there's just something that I didn't even think about. Yeah. I mean, think about it this way. Uh, somebody who's passed away, they can't pay taxes on something that happened after they passed mm -hmm. because everything under their social security number stops. That's why it's so important, you know, if you have uh, brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, all that other stuff, speak to a tax professional, a financial planner, somebody who's well-versed in the combination of death and taxes, because you may be required to report stuff. Even if you don't have to pay taxes, you may have to file a return. You may not have to file a return personally for you. Depending on again, depending on how what your relationship was or how the money was given to you, you may have to file something. You may not have to file something, but you're never going to know until you have all of the information together and you sit with a professional. Definitely. So the recommendation here is to get all of your information together and talk to a tax professional who can help you in your unique situation because everyone's situation is unique. Every state has different laws. Um, Eric is my personal accountant, and he's been wonderful the past few years. And I so appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story, really dropping so much knowledge for people about this very unique intersection of death and taxes. And I appreciate uh, everything that you've shared. Where can people find you? Well, I have my website where I write about the more so about the uh, business, small business stuff, entrepreneurship at ericnissall.com. 
I have, as I said, uh, another site that I've been writing about more educational personal finance topics, such as the beneficiary stuff, the lost money stuff, the basics of a income tax return, what you need to know about you know, when to file, how to file, who needs to file, all those things. And that's called understandfinances.com. If you're looking to hire an accountant to do monthly business accounting, stuff like that, um, you can go to accountlancer.com. I don't take just anybody off the streets. I am very <laughs> selective of who I work with because I'm at the point where and this is one of the reasons why I left working for somebody else is because I like to do the kinds of things that I like to do, not what's been thrown on my desk. But when it comes to something like familiar stuff, familial stuff, family related stuff, if you have a quote unquote family accountant, you should always talk to them first in regards to this, because they're going to most likely going to know what types of accounts your family has, like your parents or your grandparents already have. That's always the best start. Now, when it comes to just finding somebody to do your regular taxes, I never recommend that because you want to find somebody who's going to understand you and not just go to somebody just because they've been using them. But again, because of this specific familiarity component that's one of the best places to start with is the person who does your parents or grandparents or whoever it was who passed on, go to them first. Such great advice. Definitely check Eric out and all of his amazing sites. He's always dropping so much information that is so valuable. Thank you so much for being on the show, Eric. Thank you, Melanie. I'm always happy to help. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review and you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.